Hello and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and on today's show, we're talking about one of the most recent developments in Santa Barbara housing news. Just last month, the Santa Barbara Independent News reporter Ryan Cruz broke a story that plans for the first housing project using the Builder's Remedy are underway. In this episode, we're taking a look at these plans and who's behind them. The Builder's Remedy is a component of the California Housing Accountability Act that allows developers to take the fast track all the way through local review processes and essentially get housing development plans in action as soon as possible. But the Builder's Remedy only gets kicked into gear if jurisdictions fail to meet state-mandated housing quotas by a deadline. For this cycle, the City of Santa Barbara failed to submit housing element drafts by February 15th, hence why developers can now utilize the Builder's Remedy to sidestep local government protocols and start building. So, the first project in line was proposed by Craig Martin-Smith and Stephanie Smith, an LA-based duo who founded an investment company called the Industrial Partners Group. On today's show, I spoke with independent reporter Ryan Cruz about the Smiths' plans for affordable housing, who these developers are, and what we can expect in the next six months. Today, I'm here with the Ryan Cruz news reporter. Hello, and welcome back to the show. And I've had you on the Indie Pod to talk about some of the great reporting you do for The Independent before. But on today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into a story you just broke. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Glad to be here. So lipo diesel and weed wars. I mean, what a headline. <laughs> it kind of it, it kind of wrote itself. <laughs> And we'll talk about what that all means in in just a minute, you know, how liposuction and cannabis fits into this larger picture of housing. But first, let's break into the basics. You've been following the California housing crisis and the builder's remedy for quite a while now. So can you catch us up to speed? What's going on generally with housing in Santa Barbara? Well, I think it, it's pretty obvious there's a, a large housing crisis, not just in Santa Barbara, but in California. And to kind of combat this and address this, the state has been doing something called the housing element, which is every eight years, they kind of go through each jurisdiction and they give what's called a RENO. It's a regional housing needs allocation. And it kind of tells how much each jurisdiction would need. And it, this year was broken down by the Santa Barbara County Association of Governments. So it was South Coast needs X amount. Um, North County needs X amount and each city and jurisdiction was given their portion. Santa Barbara had to have 8,000 units they have to account for by 2031. And this has caused a lot of pressure and a lot of scrambling and of, we need this housing. Um, it's very obvious that this housing isn't just going to get built by itself. We kind of rely on private development, which kind of put us in this situation in this first place. In the past, you, you were able to do the housing element and kind of not fudge the numbers, but you do it on paper. And cities and counties got used to doing that. So they got used to accounting for all their numbers and zoning for them, but you know, not really building those numbers. And over time, now we just have a huge deficit of specifically affordable housing in Santa Barbara and California. And this time around on the housing element, the state is not playing around. And they put this deadline on February 15th, where the, the last time they, they kind of extended these deadlines 
This time it was February 15th. And as of now, I, I think 40% of, of jurisdiction, that's 500 jurisdictions. So about 230 are out of compliance, which means they do not have a housing element plan. And that's kind of all an intro to, to that open the door for what's called the builder's remedy. And the builder's remedy is kind of a way to ensure developers have a quick route to building stuff. And California, and especially Santa Barbara, has a reputation for nimbyism. That's not in my backyard. And our review process can be really slow. And developers for years have kind of complained about that. But it also protects the the aesthetics and kind of fosters slow growth and responsible growth. Now, with the housing element and the builder's remedy, when jurisdictions are without this compliant housing element, they leave themselves open for developers to come in and say, you know, we're using this, what's called the builder's remedy. We are signing this project up because we're providing X amount of affordable housing, um, which is usually 20% of their units. And as long as they provide that, they're allowed to, to go a little bit bigger, a little bit denser than usual, and they get essentially a fast pass through the system. And that's kind of what allowed this development right here. Yeah. So you bring up a lot of great points. First, I want to kind of rewind a little bit. The housing element law, you mentioned it's an eight-year cycle. Santa Barbara City has been allocated just about 8,000 units. And then because of the February 15th deadline, their hands are tied. So in the past, it was a scrimmage. Yeah. It's game time now, it right? It definitely is. And you also mentioned that some number of jurisdictions, I have the statistic right here, 43% of jurisdictions in California are out of compliance with the state mandates. So there's this state mandated affordable housing deadline, which where the builder's remedy comes into play, disregarding the local review processes. Is the builder's remedy considered an ultimately negative or damaging provision? That all depends on who you ask because I'm 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 conflicted on this in my own my own right covering covering housing you know I I barely afford to to live in Santa Barbara Santa Barbara is really expensive and you know um, we're we're pricing out our middle and low class and that's our working class and we need housing we need affordable housing developers aren't going to build this without the incentive in their brains and you know the money doesn't work right to just build housing. And, and that's why people are pushing for publicly funded housings and social housing and things like that that come through the city and the housing authority. But even that is not enough and we still need to foster some sort of development. And so there is a fine line between, you know, is that too big? In, in Santa Monica, we've seen a couple huge buildings go in, I think 15 stories, um, hundreds of units. And those were already kind of in the process, but that's been somewhere where They've had a really strict process historically, and the developers took advantage. As soon as they were out of compliance, they ran these through. And that's what people are afraid of, that you know, with the builder's remedy, we are getting the housing we need, but we are not getting the housing that we asked for. We're getting whatever's handed to us, whatever's kind of jammed down the city's throat. And the city's hands are tied, which makes it really difficult to kind of, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because we're sort of threading the needle between avoiding these local review processes, but then also allowing developers to make affordable housing a little bit more viably economically. Yes. Would you say that's right? Yeah, it definitely makes the numbers right for these developers to come and 
provide a couple units of affordable housing. And in the case of, of this one that we're speaking of, you know, those lots would normally be, you know, four units. And because of the builder's remedy, they're allowed to apply for 30 units. And because 20% of those six units are considered low income. And that's another thing in Santa Barbara, what's considered low income is, is, you know, pretty high. And, and they do it by percent of the AMI. And our, our area media income is, is a hundred thousand dollars, I think of a household. And that makes our affordable housing, you know, it's not very affordable um, on the ground. Right. And I also, I appreciate that you brought up that acronym NIMBYism. I can just imagine the city of Santa Barbara just throwing up their hands. And there, there's a, a lot of this, um, and, and we see it a lot in California, um, where, it's, where it's more of kind of a, a liberal leaning state, where people support the idea of housing. They, they know, we, they understand that people need to live. They know they, they know firsthand how, how expensive rent is in California. But as soon as you bring a project up, but we see this in Santa Barbara a lot. We, we see projects come across and, you know, they're big, but they're legal. And, and even those ones, they get a lot of pushback from the community. And especially in certain neighborhoods, you know, they don't want big developments in their backyard. And that's kind of where we're at and where we've been at for a, a while now. And we're threading this line of we need this housing, but where is it going to go if nobody wants housing on their street? We're kind of stuck in the middle right now. Right. And now moving into kind of what's been developing now. So we have all of this policy background in place talking about the housing element law and builder's remedy, but news broke about the first development project in place. Can you talk about this? Yeah. So we got a, we got a tip from actually the, the developers themselves um, to, to look into this development they had going on. And, you know, he, they were very excited to, to be, Using the Builder's Remedy in Santa Barbara, you know, they said that they were really trying to provide housing. There's a 30-unit development um, on the Lower Riviera. But, you know, it usually when I get a, a tip like that, I want to look into who these developers are. You know, where are they from? Do they have any other past businesses? And that's kind of where this story took a turn and, and you know, got a little bit um, more interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's this Los Angeles-based investment company called the Industrial Partners Group. They have plans to make a 30-unit apartment complex with six low-income affordable housing units um, located on Grand Ave in the Lower Riviera. So you you kind of have alluded to this interesting background of the developers. So you write that Craig Martin Smith and Stephanie Smith have often been looked at with a little bit of controversy in California, perhaps because of previous business ventures. So let's start talking about that a little bit in terms of where the liposuction practice comes in. There's diesel made out of fat sucked out of humans. The questioning of the legality of this and then allegations of um, the couple who are allowing unlicensed staff to perform procedures um, so can you tell us kind of about where where this story did take a turn? Yeah, so I, I kind of looked into the the founders who are Craig Martin Smith and Stephanie Smith. They're listed on Industrial Partners Group website. Um, you know, I start doing some some web searching and I find a, a couple older court cases where I see their name. And then on, on Stephanie's professional website is actually where I was able to see the lipodiesel connection. And that kind of opened the door to finding more court cases and, and finding out that, you know, they had gone by different names and, and Dr. Craig, Craig Martin Smith had gone by Dr. 
Craig Allen Bittner, um, and this was early 2000s. He ran a liposuction clinic, one of the most popular liposuction clinics on Rodeo Drive, according to his website. And sometime during 2007, they had the idea to use the the extra gas they had as an alternative form of fuel. Um, you know, Stephanie says she got the idea from they lived in South America and they they drove a car that that was run off sugarcane, I believe. You know, so that planted the seed in their heads. But but that that was that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty extraordinary for me to, to, to read. And, and it kind of sent me into a deep dive of looking into their past names and, you know, come to find out they had gotten in trouble and, and Dr. Bittner had lost his license um, due to a lot of different accusations that were made at the time that he was letting people work without licenses, that he was taking too much fat out. Uh, there was several allegations that women were left disfigured um, for being, they were taking too much fat out. And, you know, there there was a lot of different allegations being made, and ultimately, um, he was he was able to he gave up his license. He admitted to allowing Stephanie to practice without a license. Um, he told me that that she was doing consultations. So the court documents allege that she was actually performing some of these procedures. So some of that is still you know up in the air. But but it, it kind of opened up the door to you know that these people that have a, a I wouldn't say shady past because it was it was technically legal, even though there was a, there was a lot of articles at the time that picked it up and the, the you know Scientific American and they're they're questioning the legality of this and you know the legitimacy of this and eventually they they you know shut down the clinic. Um, he declared bankruptcy, um, said that he was in debt millions of dollars, um, even though that that at the time the Clinic was, I think, had six thousand patients a year. They claimed and was making six million dollars a year. So it, it raised questions. You know, they, they changed their name. They went down south, and then, you know, they returned in another capacity a little bit later. Yeah. So what you just mentioned, they they did return. So the liposuction practice was like earlier two thousands. Um, now they have come back to Los Angeles around 2017. This is where the cannabis kind of comes into the conversation. So Stephanie comes into the picture, is maybe named a cannabis warehouse landlord in Los Angeles, um, ending in a home raid and an arrest, but no convictions for either of them. So so now we're talking about the weed wars. How does this come into play? Well, this is a, a time in, in California when weed was on its way to being legalized, but not quite there yet. And, you know, um, how she tells it, she she bought a, a pawn shop and converted it into a laundromat with uh, electrical, water, um, gas, and soon found that there were plenty of cannabis growers in Los Angeles that, you know, needed warehouse space. Um, this was, it was medicinally legal, so you could use it and people were selling it in, in dispensaries all across California. So there was a need for this product and, you know, people were cultivating and growing and it was becoming a, a big, a big business in LA. And I think that she kind of found herself in, in, in renting out these warehouses and it did bring some bad attention. You know, um, I think she played the part of, of in the media as she was a, a lot of stories at the time about how she was, embracing this this new business and um she was really pushing kind of against the cities having control over the direction and the permitting and it did lead to a couple of warehouses getting 
raided, thousands of pounds of marijuana being seized, and eventually their home being raided. And that was where, you know, they found a lot of prescription pills and cash. You know, they were able to explain that, that the cash was from their, their business. Um, they rented to a lot of cannabis um, producers who ran, dealed in cash and, and they paid their rent in cash. And the pills they explained were from their liposuction clinic 10 years earlier that they hadn't been used. So there was no charges from those, but it kind of, kind of built this mystique around Stephanie and that she kind of embraced, you know, there was, there's, she pushed back on the queen pin um, title, but she also embraced it because on her website, she's, she's kind of playful with how she says, you know, I'm a queen pin and that's uh, the boss of the office and I'm not the queen of cannabis, but I'm, you know, she is a, a staunch advocate and she's sued multiple times, city of San Bernardino. And this was, it was all happening during the time when it was getting legalized and she felt like they were getting targeted and she was actually, right after she was arrested during this time, she was denied a permit when the city of San Bernardino handed out 16 other permits. So they felt like it was kind of a corrupt city targeting them. But but I just felt like it was interesting that, you know, they were able to, after that, you know, they moved to Bali and, you know, it was after the pandemic, they kind of built themselves up and during the housing element started to get into multifamily housing instead of warehousing. And that's where, especially when you come in Santa Barbara, I think people want to know who's building and it's not a bigger place like LA where, you know, well, the apartments are there, somebody's going to rent them. I think in Santa Barbara, we still have a lot of people who want to know who they're doing business with. And I think that's what where it became interesting and, and how that would tie into it. And just, I, th- I thought it was fair for people to know who was developing in their backyard. Right. And, you know, despite all of this um, background that kind of brings these characters to life for us, the city of Santa Barbara doesn't conduct any background checks. They don't look into, you know, the history of people. So, with that being said, they they don't have the green light yet, though. The development plan is preliminary. And um, what what kind of is, is coming next in the next couple months? Yeah, so I definitely reached out to the city um, and asked about that, that application once they reached out to us and said, you know, we are the first approved project in Santa Barbara. I wanted to, to make sure, you know, that was approved fully. And I reached out to Stephanie Swanson. She was in the planning department and it's a preliminary application, which means it locks those objective standards into place. If the city were to pass any laws saying, you know, the setbacks have to be different or it can't be as high in that, in that area, in that zoning district, their project would still go through as it was when they applied. And that lasts for 180 days, about six months. And then during that time, they can, they have to submit their official planning all the documents and, and application. And that if that gets approved, they pretty much get this fast pass through. And all, everything with the builder's remedy is still a little bit in the works. Uh, it's the first time people are really kind of testing it, especially in Santa Barbara. And first time the planners are having to deal with it. And, you know, when, when I reached out to them and let them know what I'd found out about Industrial Partners Group, um, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't, they hadn't known about that, their past. Um, businesses and names. And then I asked if, you know, that would possibly affect 
and there's no policies in, in place and they don't do any sort of background checks or anything like that. And that kind of brings up this conversation and, you know, it's a capitalist system. If somebody were to, you know, get arrested for a DUI or something, um, and they rebuild themselves up and they, they, you know, even if, even if they fail at their business or whatever it is, if you rebuild yourself, this is America and usually people are open to, you know, second chances and things like that. But I think it also opens up a conversation about should these things be allowed? If somebody has fraud in their past or, or a criminal conviction, I know in this case they didn't have a conviction, but something similar, should there be a sort of um, priority list of, of developers that are, you know, in good standing? Um, because at, right now there's no sort of policies which kind of make sense, but at the, at the same time, you know, it, it begs the question, should something like that be a factor? in somebody trying to plan a big development in Santa Barbara. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That brings up an interesting conversation. And though they have veered away from those previous business ventures, it seems like they do have their foot in the door in the housing development realm. So I'm interested to see what unravels within the next six months. And um, I'm sure you'll keep us up to date with the paper too. I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on it. Thank you. Great. So before we wrap up this conversation, is there anything else you would like to add that you think I missed or listeners should know about the builder's remedy, um, about the first development plan or anything about housing in Santa Barbara? Um, I think what I've seen in the past year with housing in Santa Barbara is people being more aware and being more active. And when I say that, I mean, there's groups of people speaking at city council, at the county board of supervisors. And, you know, laying themselves on the, out there and, and telling their hearts and saying, you know, I'm struggling. I am a, a single mother. I am a working, you know, student in Santa Barbara. And I'm just, there's, I feel like when I was growing up here, there was the dream of you graduate from city college or UCSB and you could live here and you could, you could make your way and, and become part of this community. And it, you know, growing up here, that's the dream. You want to keep being part of this community. And that's disappearing. And I, I want people to know that they can be involved in changing that process by going and, and speaking to these leaders. And, you know, we, we've seen with um, rent evictions, that's a big thing happening right now. We've seen a lot of people being active in the community and letting their leaders know this is happening right now in the city. This isn't theoretical. This isn't, you know, on CNN. This is happening right here. Um, and the city and county have been responsive to that where they can be. So I would, I would just encourage people to get involved and learn how the housing crisis affects you and, you know, where we can go from here. Yes. Local government is so important. Getting your voices heard are so important. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Indie and to stay up to date with the team be sure to follow us at The Indie Pod on Instagram. From the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent, I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg. And as always, we'll see you next week, Santa Barbara.